This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus. Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast, our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Starting a new job is an exciting time, but it also has its challenges. There's so much to know and so much to learn to do your job effectively. Joining me today to share her insights about starting out in occupational safety and health is Julia Kunlow. Julia is a certified safety professional, OSHA OTI Level 500 Instructor, and Certified National Center for Construction Education and Research Instructor. She is also Vice President of Evolution Safety Resources. Uh, Julia, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Uh, great to have you. Excited, uh, excited to talk to you today. So we're talking about, you know, st- starting out in the, in the safety and health profession. And, you know, like I said, there, there's so much to know, so much to learn. So uh, in, in your experience, for those starting out in safety, you know, have been assigned a safety role at their organization, what are the most important things that they should know as, as they start out? Man, that's a, a loaded question to start us off. That's a great one. Okay. So uh, safety 101 to, to kick us off, right? Maybe you're in HR and someone says, hey, why don't you take a look at the safety thing, right? Is how a lot of people get involved in safety in the first place. Um, that's certainly my experiences. And I can say um, a lot of times when we're given safety, we're given it as a um, compliance mindset. You know, you're in charge of safety, so make sure we don't get in trouble. Uh, you're in charge of safety. Make sure that if OSHA shows up on our job site, you, you get it handled as quickly as possible. And the, the mindset around it is just really not where it should be, which I think when we take a step back, it's that safety is, you know, really fundamentally about caring for people. <laughs> and when we put our head in that space, it, it really makes us do better at our job. And we, every choice is just that much easier. I think when we kind of take a step back and think about it that way. So I would say change, change your mind space. You know, it's not about the book. It's not just about compliance. It's really about what what's best for our workers. Um, and with that in mind, get to know the people who are doing the work. Um, just because you have a, a book knowledge of how something should be um, to go in and just try to make changes before you understand the people who have been doing it for 20, 30 years um, is going to make it an uphill battle, I will say. Um, so, so talk to the people who are doing it, listen first, understand first, and, and, and make changes slow. Um, and I will also say know the book. You know, 1926, 1910, like know the standards, um, because if you're supposed to be an expert in this thing and you get schooled, it's not really a, a great way to, to start off your relationship with those that you're working with. So know your stuff, listen first, um, and it's a team effort. Keep your heart in the right spot. Okay. I mean, I'm glad you, you mentioned the standards and that's something we'll get into a, uh, a little bit more, a little bit later. So kind of b- building, building on that, you know, getting to know y- your workers, the work they're doing, things like that. How can someone in that position start to develop an effective safety program or improve on the program that already exists? What are some other steps they can take to, you know, I mean, maybe they're starting from the ground up or that, you know, there's some kind of a system in place. How can they get, get, get things moving or, or get things, you know, built in the uh, kind of build on what's already there right like where do you start <laughs> what do you do what do you do first welcome to your new job now what you know i think one of the really cool things 
things about safety is that it's kind of an art as well as a science. There's a million ways to do it, to your point. It's not just, you know, one six thread of rules that you have to follow. Um, there's a lot of ways that you can have a really good, impactful safety program. And I think probably the first thing is to decide what you're going to build your program around. So, you know, when you think about a safety management system, are you doing EM385? Are you talking ANSI Z10, you know? NSC's nine elements, what, what, what is that guide going to be that you're going to build your program around? So do your research and decide what, what system you like and then audit it to that system. And man, if you do an audit right, I think I did one the other day and we had 320 opportunities for improvement identified. So you just come up with this huge list of, of things that you can do better. And some of them you need to do in 30 days and some of them you probably won't get to in the next five years and that's okay. But once you create that list, you know, set your priorities and I would say probably get with management and get with the workers and get everybody bought into those decisions. You know, if you've got 10 goals that you're passionate about, take them to your boss and take them to your workers and say, hey, guys, which do you think are the most important? Um, because if you get them bought into that, then any changes you're going to make, they won't be as upset about, right? Because they're, they're part of the decision process rather than you just telling them what to do. Um, so, so get that buy-in from the people who are above you and the people who are doing the work um, and start to delegate and make it something that everybody has to do. You know, if, if safety is one person's job, it'll never help the whole organization. You know, it needs to be a little bit of everybody's job. So find a way to, to build your list, get everybody a task, get everybody involved, get everybody excited, because um, otherwise it's just an uphill battle. <laughs> As you just touched on, this may depend on what it is you're looking to accomplish, but generally speaking, when you think about the foundational building blocks of an effective safety and health program, what, what would those be? If you're going to kind of narrow it down to, you know, a, a handful of things, what would those be? So there's so many ways to think about this. And I think the one that I like is when you kind of think about safety as a triangle. And that, you know, it, it's one system composed of different sides and the three sides of a triangle when it comes to safety, it kind of talks about, you know, a, um, a field based approach, you know, what's happening in the field, how are we identifying risk and mitigating risk and controlling risk for those who are actually touching the work. And then the administrative side, which is focused on, you know, what are our policies and our procedures and do we have management buy in and management leadership in this process, and kind of, you know, the office side of safety and then the other component is the, the cultural aspect you know the people are they are they bought in and are they contributing do they understand do they see the value do they know that it's a component of their job just as much as quality or production or anything else that they get measured against and when those those three building blocks work together you know the office side the field side and then the cultural side is when you start to get something really powerful Something you just touched on there is addressing risks which is you know so much of the the work of safety and health professionals understanding risk, minimizing, mitigating risk to, so you can have safer, healthier workplaces. So if, if you're somebody just starting out, particularly if you've been handed a safety role, you know, how do you begin there? I know you, you talked about, you know, engaging with the workforce and things like that, but how can you begin to get a handle, you know, on all the different hazards and risks your, your workers are facing? You could find yourself in a lot of different working environments. So, you know, when it comes to that, where, where would you say would be the, you know, the best place to start? Yeah, man, in the field, get, get some dirt on your boots. Like that's really the reason that that's the, the best advice is because it's so true. Um, you just don't make the right choices when you have a theoretical knowledge. I heard the injection for, you know, never trust a lifeguard who doesn't know how to swim. It's the exact same mentality. You know, if you're, if you're going to be making these, these policies and these procedures and telling people how to do their job safely, 
first you got to know how the heck to do the job. <laughs> um, you got to get in the field. You got to have some dirt on your boots. And for me, I think I've probably learned more in the past, you know, maybe five years of being a consultant and being exposed to so much because I have a really great boss who is so patient with me when I ask approximately a million questions a day. Because, you know, you find a mentor, you find someone who's passionate about what they do, and they don't mind answering your questions. So if you go up and you ask somebody how they're doing their job or what they think the risks are or what you should be focusing on, 90% of the time, people are super willing to help you and explain to you what they do and why they do it and, and how they think you should be doing your job the right way. Um, so it, it's, one, great for building relationships, and two, it'll help, you know, work smarter, not harder, I guess. You do the research up front, you're not putting in the same solution 10 different ways. You, you tend to get it right on the first or second time. It's something you just said, you know, have it, having a million questions for, for somebody just starting out on safety. What are some good questions to ask for, for somebody who's, who's starting out in safety and health? Awesome. So questions can go both ways, right? So if you're talking about, you know, you're meeting with your new manager or the person who just hired you or just gave you these safety responsibilities, I feel like the first question is, you know, how would you measure success in this role, right? I mean, what, what should I be doing? How do I keep this job long term? Because if I know what you need me to do, and then I do it, we're both going to be really happy here. <laughs> if I don't know what you want and I take a stab at it and I guess wrong, you know, we're, we're both going to be looking for a new job in a year. So, you know, how do you measure success? And then I think as a safety professional, what we need to try and do as much as possible is encourage those who manage us to measure safety success in terms of proactive measures as opposed to reactive ones. You know, so it's really common that we're like, well, you're successful if we don't hurt anybody. Well, that, that's a reaction to having a good program. You know, we're successful if we don't have any lost time due to an injury, but that's reactive. We want to say, I want more training. I want more inspections. I want, you know, what, what are we doing on the front end to get those great reactions on the back end? And those are the things that we want to be measuring. So asking your bosses, you know, what are the proactive measures you care about? You know, do we need a new manual? Do we need new policies? Get that, get that outlined so you can meet that goal right away. It tells you where to start. Um, from the field side, if you're asking them questions, man, the easiest one is, you know, what's the biggest risk with your work? What, what, what's the risk that, that you're exposed to every day that hasn't been handled yet? And then guess what? That's the first thing you need to solve because that's also your biggest risk in terms of liability, right? Because um, if they're telling you, oh, yeah, this scares me. I've been doing it every day for 20 years and I'm still scared to do X. Wonderful. They just helped you identify what needs to be your first priority <laughs> in starting in that job. On that note, kind of taking that next step. You know, you're, you're working with the executives in your organization to identify priorities. You're out in the field identifying those risks. Kind of what's the next step from there? You, you've identified the priorities. You're getting to understand the risks. Where does somebody go from there? What's, what's the next step? So based on your comfort level, you can either go to the OSHA website, right, and say, this is the risk. Let me find the standard that corresponds with that risk and see what OSHA says I have to do. Right. So if we're talking about for really simple personal protective equipment, you're going to go into 1926, you're going to look up the PPE standard and you're going to say, all right, in terms of PPE with hand safety, I need to have this type of glove when I'm exposed to these types of hazards and I need to provide this type of training. Great. Get those gloves, make sure you have them for those hazards and provide that training. You know, we, we don't just want to be talking about regulatory minimums when we talk about safety. You know, you want to be exceeding that. But if you're starting from ground zero, making sure you're not breaking the law is a really good place to start. <laughs> um, and then what, yeah, once you are 100% confident that you've hit all those bare minimums as per OSHA, then you circle back and you find those opportunities for improvement. But yeah, first priority is know what the law says. <laughs> 
look up the components of the law that touch your business and, and make sure you're covered. Um, because there's a reason it's law. It's because those are the things that have been shown to hurt people the most often. And, and if you're not doing it that way, there's a really good chance you're, you're running the risk of hurting somebody sometime soon. Perfect segue into my next question, and I get it's 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 two parts. I you, you've touched on you know the OSHA standards, Z10 things like that. So you know what are some resources and tools that those early career professionals can reference and you use to help them get started? And I guess the second part of that is you know do they need to know what types of risks they need to address first before looking at those resources, or would you encourage them to start with the regulations? or know what they're dealing with and then figure out how the regulations can help them address it? So I would definitely recommend knowing what you're dealing with first, because um, the regulations are huge. And if you focus on being an expert in every aspect of the book before you start making changes, you're talking four or five months until you change anything. And you don't have that type of time when you're new in a role, right? Um, so, you know, first you want to know what you're touching, get that low hanging fruit, whatever it might be, um, and then kind of work backwards and, and know the full book for sure. But yeah, I mean, outside of Z10, which you mentioned, and 26 and 1910, which is wonderful. I think it's really important that we look for guidance inside our organization as well as outside, because we just need different wells of knowledge, you know, specifically for these, these companies that have been around for so long and maybe they're family owned and operated. And they've just, we're talking generational knowledge that could pass from person to person to person. It's so important that you be ingrained in that, right? Because you're a part of that team now. But it's also really important that you have your lens facing outward and try to be a good steward of seeing things in a way that perhaps your company isn't currently seeing them. So, so you need to talk to those inside your company, your, your managers, those doing the work, your mentors. Um, but you need to look outside. You know, membership organizations are an awesome place to go. Um, not to give you guys a pat on the back. Obviously, I'm a member. That's how we found each other. Um, but it's true, you know, membership organizations like this, where you can meet and bounce ideas and look for guidance from other professionals. I mean, you're new, you don't know what you're doing. What a great opportunity to meet someone who's done it 10 times and probably gotten it wrong the first nine and say, Oh, my gosh, don't do what I did. Please. <laughs> Please try it, try it this way. I finally figured out how to do it right. Um, networking with other professionals, like-minded professionals, membership organizations and trade organizations. You know, if you're a concrete company, to join the Concrete Foundations of America. If you're a steel erector, you should be joining SIA. You know, the, these are membership organizations that are specific to your trade, which are really going to help you be an expert in your, you know, specific avenue of business pretty quick. And they've got safety committees. So like for safety people in those industries, you can be meeting with like a really great niche of, of people who do what you do in the industry that you do it. You, you touched on uh, a few uh, regulations and standards. You mentioned 1910, 1926. Talk, talk a little bit more about what, what, the, what those are, why they're important in, you know, in the world of, of safety and health and how they can help uh, safety and health professionals do their jobs better. <gasps> sure. I love the book, man. I'm a dork. I'll talk the book all day. Bring it on. Yep. Sure, I kind of just jumped in too far, right? Let me take a step back. Um, so OSHA, you know, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, is this regulatory agency that tells employers how they need to keep their employees safe. So it says in, in all these different ways, these are the things that we have to be doing to make sure that our workers go home in the exact same way that they showed up, because that's a right that everybody has. You shouldn't be coming to work and be afraid that you're not going to go home in the same condition to your loved one. Um, so with that being in mind, they kind of put together these different books that tell us how we need to be doing that job. And there's 1926, which focuses on the construction industry. And there's 1910, which focuses on general industry. So based on the type of company that you work for, it'll 
basically help you to understand which book you need to be looking into um, to understand the, the legal requirements for how you keep your worker safe. And some companies are both. Um, so you might be 1996, you might be 1910, and you might be a quasi, which means you have to hit the minimum standards for both of them at the same time. Lucky you. Um, and I should say, I say book because that's the way that I got started out. This is all online now. <laughs> the OSHA website literally has every component of these books, you know, click to touch, ready to go, really nicely organized. It's a great tool. You can look up anything that you need. Um, but yeah, when you talk about, you know, the compliance officer coming on site and issuing you a citation, that citation is going to be verbatim pulled from 20, 1926 or 1910. You know, that, that's their cheat sheet of what they look for when they come onto your job site. Um, and if you ever get yourself in a regulatory issue or in litigation, that's exactly what they're going to look for in the courtroom as well. So it's smart for you as a safety professional, you know, to kind of have your company's best interest in mind and be looking at that same cheat sheet. <laughs> so that way everyone's just working from, from the same bit of information. And then something like, like Z10, I mean, that those kind of the, industry consensus standards, those are the kind of things that can help you go be beyond OSHA compliance. Exactly. So yeah, 1926, 1910 is bare minimums. Like literally, this is the least you have to do to not be in jail. Um, so yes, that, that shouldn't be what we strive to achieve in, in the companies that we work for. So there are all sorts of other really great resources that talk about building strong, best level programs um, that aren't just based on meeting the law, they're based on what has been shown to keep people the safest at work. Um, so when you talk about going to the National Safety Council nine elements, that's how they say, you know, the nine components of a safety management system that are top class, this is what you need to look at. And there are books on that. Um, and there's ANSI Z10, which is another reference material. It's, it's not something that you can be audited to, but man, you can audit yourself to it and find opportunities for improvement. You know, it's the same way that people, you know, hire a consultant and we come in and we have our own list of what we think makes a great safety management system and we audit you to that. We're not auditing you based on what's legally compliant. That's part of it. But past that, it's also about, you know, what's your culture like? What, what, what's the perception of safety within your organization? How's your turnover? You know, is, is safety a component of when you do your annual bonuses for your manager? Is that how much they care about it, that it's something they're getting measured to? You know, and it's really taking that, that next level of not just having a safety program that looks good in a book or sits really nicely on a bookshelf, but actually making sure that it is a, is a part of daily operations for everybody at the business. I'm glad you mentioned culture there. I know we've talked a lot about, you know, some of the, the, the technical aspects, the nuts and bolts, but how can, you know, you get a, a real handle on what the current culture is and how you can tap into what's already going on or, or, or improve on, you know, the culture that's been established? Yeah, man, that is the million dollar question. Um, because if I had a straight one, two, three for that, man, I would be retired on a beach somewhere, sipping a Mai Tai. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, there's a million ways to do it, right? Um, and every culture is this unique, really fragile entity. And so it kind of goes back to what we said when we first started of the worst thing you can do if you're trying to improve culture is to step into a new position and immediately try to mess it up or change it in some way. <laughs> um, you've got to be a listener first and understand where you're at um, so you can make good strategic choices. So I'm a big believer in a perception survey. And based on the type of company you work for and, and the level of technology, that can be something where you know, people log into SurveyMonkey and do that for free or all the way to, I've done it before where I print out a thing and I send it home and everybody's pay stubs. 
um, and they fill it back out and they drop it at a box in the office. You know, as long as it's anonymous, really, it's just a great way to gauge where the program's at. Because uh, I think a big part of safety is the perception versus reality divide. You know, in the office side, we tend to say, well, if there's a manual and there's a policy and I've trained them on the policy, I've done my job and I'm good, right? Safety program complete. Um, and you talk to workers who don't remember that training. You know, that was 10 years ago. I haven't thought about it since. Or you trained me on 10 other things that day, and that was one item, and it wasn't effective, and so I don't remember it, or whatever it might be. And so we need to make sure that safety just doesn't look good, that it that it feels good for the people who are actually exposed to the risk. Um, so doing that perception survey and knowing where you're at, and then really, you have to get people involved in it. Nobody wants to be told what to do, ever. I don't want to be told what to do. My two-year-old doesn't like it when I tell her what to do. <laughs> Uh, this is something that we're born with. Nobody likes being bossed around all the time. And I think, you know, the safety cop mentality, unfortunately, comes from a real place that people get that, that safety title and just start telling people what to do. And it doesn't feel good. Um, and that, that becomes that cultural decline that we see a lot and that divide between, you know, oh, man, the safety person's coming. Everybody run away, right? Um, and so much of the role is, is fighting that and, and getting people involved in how to solve the problem and hearing their ideas and letting them come up with their own solutions rather than just giving them what you read in a textbook is the right choice to do, right? So the, the committees and the, the meetings and the engagement and toolbox talk shouldn't be a piece of paper that the supervisor just reads off of and passes around for everybody to sign. A different person should be doing it every week and they should be choosing the topic based on what they think is important. And, you know, it, it should be something that everybody is not just involved in and that they have to sit in a classroom and listen to it, um, but they're, they're leading it. Everybody gets a chance to, to have input and to lead. Um, and I think that's when the culture actually shifts from something that, you know, it's not something that my boss says, it's something that I do. And when everybody feels that way, everybody acts a little bit safer and then everybody sees the value. It's not that simple, <laughs> but those are a couple ideas. Talking about uh, toolbox talks and training and, and that kind of thing, there's going to be a lot of different topics you have to cover, obviously, but what are kind of some good ways to craft a training program as you're starting out? That's a great question. And I feel like training is one of those components of a program that's always changing because risks change when new equipment gets involved and new processes get involved and standards change. And so it should always be something that we're looking at and evaluating, right? It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Um, and I will say, especially when it comes to training, we want to look for progress, not perfection. Um, if you spend so much time trying to develop the perfect new hire orientation, right? And you spend six months doing research and interviews and bringing in these components and, and interviewing experts and getting videotapes out in the field. Are you going to have an awesome product? Absolutely. But for six months, you hired people who had no orientation, right? And so it's, it's really just little bits at a time. You want to be doing something. And then constantly improving and constantly trying to make it better. But if, if you work so hard to make it perfect up front, you're never going to put anything in place. You just, you just need to make progress. So I would say that the best thing you can do in terms of training is put together a new hire orientation and pick really basic hazards that you know are going to be something that you're exposed to regardless of your industry, right? You need to talk about PPE. You've got to talk about 
ergonomics to some degree. We need to talk about equipment safety, um, right in today's environment, we talk about COVID precautions, whatever those, those big risk areas in your work should be something that you spend time talking about during new hire orientation. And I'm personally a big believer in that you can fail new hire orientation. So if you bring somebody in and they're joining your company and you've got them in the classroom for three, four hours on their first day of work and they're on their phone the whole time, or making comments about like, oh man, this baby stuff is so stupid. I don't have time to do this baby stuff. I gotta get out into the field. And you can just tell that the, the mindset isn't right. That is where a safety professional, you should have some leeway to go to the manager and be like, hey man, I'm gonna save you a big headache. This guy should not go into the field. Cause it might not be that day and it might not be three weeks, but three months from now, three years from now, something's gonna happen. They're gonna make a choice. They're going to get hurt. They're gonna hurt somebody else because they don't see safety as a priority. And so training is really twofold, a way for you to get to know them, for them to get to know you and your role as a person, and then the expectations of the company. Um, so new hire orientation is a big one. And then, yeah, you got to sprinkle it in throughout the year, too, because doing it once a year and being like, we rock, we're the best, our training program's awesome, um, doesn't, doesn't really give you, keep the momentum the way you need it to be going. Okay. Any uh, final thoughts, uh, advice uh, you'd like to give to those, uh, those starting out in uh, occupational safety and health? No, welcome, welcome. We're happy to have you. We need your ideas, we need your passion. Hope I run into you out in the field one day. Uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Julie. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I know this will be really valuable uh, for those uh, starting out in the field as they uh, work to make their uh, workplaces safer and healthier. So thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your perspective. Thanks, Scott. Join us at Safety Focus, February 21st through the 25th, 2022 in Phoenix, Arizona, and online February 21st through March 4th. Register today at safetyfocus.assp.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at assp.org and follow us on Twitter at assp safety. We'll see you next time.